Culture eats strategy for lunch and inform cultures, drive decisions and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with executives, visionaries and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. I'm Lee Harper, machine learning expert with over 10 years of experience in AI and AI strategy. And today, we're doing something a little bit different. I have got on three of my mentees who are earlier in their data journeys to kind of really get an idea of how do the more you know, junior and mid-level folks view this journey. We tend to hear from super senior folks. Let's hear from the people actually doing the work themselves this time around. So today I'm joined by Manview, a consultant at James Moore Consulting, Lee Matthias, data analyst and data scientist at Pratt & Whitney, and Shmuel Tochiki from the state of Colorado sports betting. So thanks all for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So our first question that we're going to start with is you've each been on a journey to get to where you've got to today. How did you come to become data culture and data science advocates? So we'll start with you, man, and we'll go down the line. So I've always been a, a very math and computer science-y kind of person. Uh, that has always been my forte, but also in the very academic uh, way. And I didn't really get into a space where I could leverage that skill set until I started working with the Navy and learned how the skill set could drive business decision. So that's how, that's in a nutshell, my journey. Lee? So I have a background in uh, finance and with finance, people usually want to know how much money you spend on things, right? So we would work on a lot of reporting and forecasting and uh, I just found it interesting. So I kept diving deeper and I also started realizing there's a lot of data just in everyday life. So I think it's kind of permeates in everything and I've just been doing my best to learn more and more about it. So mine's very different, I guess. Mine is more on the, I just found a specific title that I just found intriguing and I thought I was going to run with it. I am a survivor of domestic violence and so I was told I would amount to nothing. I have a law degree. However, to me that meant nothing because I couldn't practice law. And then being in that really awful situation, I decided I wanted to just dive into something very, very different. And I haven't looked back since. So that's my journey. So as you've kind of gone down your path, paths, you'll have found various opinions, you'll have formed your own views on things. And of course, those change over time and that's fine. But what's one thing, one opinion you've formed, one thing you've seen that you believe in quite strongly, but others maybe don't agree with you. Maybe it's a bit controversial, something interesting like that. Let's go with uh, Lee first. Uh, yeah, something controversial. I would say that when people request information or request any kind of, I would say deliverable or anything data science related, they usually don't know what they're looking for. I think that that is my hot take on data science. I think there's just so much to it. There's so many aspects to it. And I think people, for better or worse, tend to conflate a lot of things, myself included, right? Yeah, I think that might be a hot take on, <laughs> on data science. 
So what do you conflate? So like, for example, right? I think that sometimes there is a difference between like a, a data analyst and a data scientist. So in my everyday work, I deal with that quite a bit, right? There, I feel there is some overlap, but let's say, for example, I think that the utilization of tools, right? I mean, obviously you have to use what's available to you, but utilizing like cutting edge tools, cutting edge technologies to find different insights, right? I think a data scientist explores data. And I feel like a lot of times that may not necessarily happen, right? So I think that there's some conflation, I think, with uh, a data analyst and a data scientist, at least from my view. So man, have you had any experience with that? Yeah. So my thought is that data analysts and data scientists use different sets um, of tools, uh, but there's also the same, there are similar sets of tools that they use. If you use a specific set of tools that your employer wants you to use, does that make you less of a data scientist or less of a data analyst? That's what I'm getting at. So in the backbone of it, data scientists and data analysts, we use whatever tools that's giving us, given to us so that we could derive some kind of insight or cast some kind of insights from the data. Not being able to use or not having disposal to certain tools does, doesn't make us any less of a data analyst or a data scientist. And I remember when I was kind of starting out in the space, and given this is some years ago now, so things have changed a bit since then, but often I had to advocate for the tools that I wanted to use because I tended to know more about this than my employers did. Just I've been doing it for longer, so it was a new area. Have have you had any of you had to advocate for different tools compared to what you had available to you at the time, like you know, from your employer? For sure. So working in the military, there's a lot of obscurities. So Python, one of the main tools that uh, we use as data scientists, is uh, not available to us in the military because of security reasons. And so we have to use uh, other tools. I had to advocate for MATLAB because that's approved for some reason, even though it costs a lot more. So I would always push my employer to install MATLAB onto my computer so that I could have some tools to do what it is that I need to do for my job. Now, I know this is a problem that you've run into as well, you know, fairly regularly is the having to advocate for the tools that you need to do your job well versus what you were just given. How did you go about, or how do you go about advocating Shamel for the tools that you need to be successful and productive? So a lot of people don't understand IT. They don't talk IT. And it's, it's I think, a very, very tough language to speak, but at the same time, it's, it's pretty black and white and people choose not to understand it. And so I give more of a situation. So I obviously choose my audience and for me, I, if I have somebody that I know likes to cook or bake, I'm like, well, if you give me all the ingredients for a cake and don't provide me with the flour, but say, hey, there's a field full of like wheat and different types of like things you could use to produce flour, go go at it. It's going to take me a whole lot longer to be able to give you the cake. Whereas if you just provided me with the right tools, I'd be able to go and bake the cake within two hours. So I'd like to give like living examples because I think that people choose not to want to understand. And that's my way of, of dealing with it. However, I think speaking up, 
you know, saying that there are much better tools out there that could be used to make things way more automated and easier to provide the results you're actually looking for. Yeah, and I think especially if you're dealing with people that, you know, for whatever reason aren't as knowledgeable as you are, even even if you're, you know, fresh out of college, you know, you still have that extra knowledge that you can bring to bear that hopefully someone's paying you to bring. So we talked about kind of some hot takes and some kind of controversial opinions, perhaps. Let's move now to like common perceptions. How would you define, what do you think people think about what you do? And you know, there's memes that you see, hey, here's what I do. Here's what my parents think I do. Here's what, you know, my boss thinks I do. What do you think common perceptions are? And then actually, do you agree with that perception? So Shamel, we'll start with you on this one. So I think that people think that data science is building databases and dashboards. That's what they think it is all about. And yes, there's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And yes, we can provide all these, you know, additional things, but they don't understand what the actual concept of data science is and how much more there is to it. And so they'll provide this title and they'll say, go at it. But they don't really get the full understanding of what we do. Something that I think that's also a very common mistake is that people think data science is just statistics. However, I think Lee mentioned this earlier, this is the future. Like these are the things we use in our everyday lives. If people could just have that common understanding, it's like a big, it's, it's common sense versus the actual perception. It's, it's things we do on a daily basis. We, I, I mentioned this, I think, when we had a chat there's been times where, I mean, in every child's life, they have these, these like growth charts. And it's so funny how, you know, on the specific day I had a doctor's appointment and I just happened to look at the chart and I was like, well, where does he fit in? And what would his potential height be in adulthood? And they used this chart and I was like, that is data science right there. So they've been using this for years. They just don't know that this is what the things that we could actually help to predict and use different types of um, tools to be to be able to make these things easy and automate a lot of these things for for people. So, Lee, have you worked in the defense industry? How are the perceptions on that side of the house about what data science or data is? I had a conversation with someone I work with, and it was very interesting. What they actually said to me was. No matter what, no matter how good a data scientist is, no matter how entrenched they are or how much they know, they can never solve our data problems, right? And I think that very similar to man, right? There's a lot of, you know, there's limitation to tools for clearances, but there's also culturally a lot of resistance to it. Everyone has been using, I would say, Excel forever, right? Like every other company. And it's we- a great tool. It is. It is. It is. Absolutely. No, no, not no knock on Excel uh, on Excel at all. I use it every day. But you know that. That being said, right? It's from my experience. It ha- it can be difficult sometimes if the culture that you work in doesn't necessarily see the value of exploring other options. And that's something that I've been working on. Very similar to Shamel, I've been having a you know have the daily you know 
prop, you know, the daily, I would say, uh, statement to, to, to plead my case for certain things. I have been making leeway, you know, but I think that within the company itself that I am at, there's definitely that mindset, at least on the military side. I would say in general, just a perception of data science, right? I always think about the marketing that's used, right? Because anytime you're on social media, there's always like a really dark room, right? All these screens with a bunch of code just running down down the screen. So I think that would be the perception of what people may have visually. And then to use your meme template of what I actually do, it would just be me on Google for hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just trying to figure figure things out, I would say. I think that that's such a big part of it because I feel that data science is a little different for everyone, right? And I do think that it's it's a journey. And sometimes you can go to 100 boot camps, but you got to kind of just be in your own journey. So I think Google and mentorship is kind of like the big, what I actually do of the work, I would say. I was surprised you didn't say that you're 100% of the time in Excel there. <laughs> specialist you know or our youtube is works. Works. i love youtube i admittedly pay for youtube premium because i use it so much i'm like these commercials just hurt my brain so i was like i'll i'll fork over the 15 dollars a month whatever they want that's data science in action right there they just were, i guess feeding you so many commercials saying oh this guy's gonna he's gonna convert to a pay customer all right exactly let's, let's annoy him so he'll do that and pay us the money um <laughs> So, man, you've kind of gone from, you know, working in, you know, obviously, you know, you're military, you've done when I will also work in government, and now you're kind of working in the commercial side as a consultant. Have the perceptions been either across those the journey or those separately or in the wider world? Kind of what have you found? I've found that, so first in the military or in the gov- federal government, data science is just starting to be a thing. After I left, they finally established a set of area of expertise called data science. Uh, but before it was just, we were lumped with um, data analytics. And so, and then same thing here, but I find that with the private sector technology, it's a little bit more advanced. I have a lot of more different technologies at my disposal. So that's the difference there. So kind of related question to what I talked about before, and also ties back into the culture as well. What do you what have you seen change maybe in the last you know year or two? And this could be technology wise. I guess we can avoid ChatGPT because that's an obvious change, <laughs> the boring one. But kind of more, on the more interesting or more subtle side, kind of what have you seen change over the course of the last sort of year or two? You know, especially as you know you've all undergone career transitions as well in that period of time. So, Lee, let's start with you. I think what has changed, and, and I'm sorry, did you say technology-wise or just in general with data science? Pick. Pick your poison. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. I would say I'll just touch on the cultural aspect of it or just the zeitgeist, if you will. I feel like there are more conversations now in regards to data science, right? And although I feel that you know, people may not always know what they're looking for, what they're asking for. People are at least asking the questions, right? Whereas before, a lot of times I feel, you know, someone sees something online or they may look at some information at work, they just take it for face value. I would say in general within, I would say this, these past two years, I've, I've been at the company I've been at for five years. I think things have just 
completely changed and ramped up. And even those that aren't necessarily in a math heavy background, you know, and maybe even someone in like, let's say a legal department, right? They scrutinize, scrutinize things a little more. And I feel that people are diving deeper and, and learning new skill sets. So I don't know. I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's just, it's just my perception, but I feel like people are more inquisitive to know how you got to an answer as of late. An increase in curiosity. I would agree. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Matt? Yeah, I would have to say the same thing too. Every, whenever, you know, we go into a presentation or ask for a business decision, they would always ask why, and then what's the numbers and do they check out? Whereas before I didn't find that as much. And not only that, but people are willing to digest data more these days and just different ways to digest data. But before I did not see um, the same way, I didn't see that in as much or as often. And do you think that's partly because people view it as more important or the people like more there just for their own career benefits? Kind of, do you have a feeling for why that might be the case? Or just an experience why that might be the case? I think it's just with the advancements of technology and everything, just with the new generation, more technology is out. The more technology advancements, as advancements come to fruition, uh, people are more comfortable with that, those kind of uh, ideas and concepts and questions. Uh, whereas before, if we went 10 years back, we were still struggling with web and then window, um, starting Windows. Uh, but now, you know, kids are on their cell phones and their tablets, and then the older generation are also on um, different technologies too. So that um, opens up different doorways for people to start questioning ideas, stimulating the minds in different ways. And how do you, how would you go about, this is to the whole group, go about educating people like that, you know, your... Yeah, and really, this could be any of you, you know, man, you could be if I have a new client, you know, Chanel, you could be talking to a new director, you know, Lee, you could be, you know, helping expand this, you know, program with me. If you were in front of an executive who, you know, probably a smart person, but has no knowledge at all about what this field really is, what's like one thing that you might say to them, hey, this is the thing you should look at. This is, you know, this is the, the number one thing that we can do for you that, that we couldn't do before. We had access to this technologies or this, this cultural shift. So I'll piggyback on this question because there's something that I'm encountering at work uh, recently. My most of my projects so far has been uh, building dashboards and then doing analytics work. However, I think this goes back to what Shamel was saying that everybody wants a data scientist. Uh, but one of those things, one of the things that people don't realize is some of the things that we can do. And the things that data scientists can do runs quietly in the background and expels like a result, a business result, but they don't know that it's data science in the background. It's not like a fancy dashboard that people can see. It's not um, SQL queries that we, uh, we've been used to using since the 90s or 80s or whenever SQL was used. It's this quietly running algorithm in the background that's giving you some insight so people don't know what it is. Going back to what I'm currently involved in with that work is that they want me to build a dashboard for HR department to build out to future clients. And then so in HR, there's multiple different questions, but one of the major questions is that how can we forecast attrition? 
And then so on my end, what I would do is that I would go and tell my director, be like, hey, we could actually use some data science skill sets in here, do the forecast, feed it into our dashboard. But when people see that at the end of the day, they don't think of it as data science. They see it as a, a, re a result dashboard. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, people haven't fully seen the full capabilities of data science yet. So it's that the data science is software. Right. You yeah. Good models run a software that they're doing valuable things, but they're not like wildly in your face. Yeah. Right. Correct. Cool. Yeah. So Lee, what's one thing that you would or have said to someone to help them, you know, figure out what's the top thing data science could be? I think the big thing is at least where I am currently, the big thing is, is developing methods of, I would say automation, but within automation. So not only just to make things easier, right? Because we're kind of towing the line on automation and data science, but automation in order to find insights, right? I feel, for example, right? A lot of, I would say, people that I work with tend to spend a lot of time doing things manually. And a lot of those tasks usually revolve around trying to find more information to help them find a business decision, right? So there are, for example, there are a lot of ways to, you know, pull reports and even dashboards that have been created. And, and, but regardless, there seems to always be some level of like ad hoc reporting, right? And I think that what happens is, is that, a lot of times there's, you know, wasted effort because a lot of those things may overlap. Sometimes someone who's, I say sitting next to you, but we're in this virtual world, world so quote unquote sitting next to you might be working on something that's very similar to what you're working on, right? So I would say developing a data science platform that can be used. I know we joked around about chat GBT being a little boring, right? Which, which I agree because it's just a hot topic right now. But, you know, I think about that as well, right? Like utilizing one of those platforms to help alleviate some of that how to do something, right? And in addition, also just help help streamline and also see where the company may be uh, struggling, you know? So that can also provide additional insights. So a very long-winded way of answering this, but what I'm trying to say is that data science can provide insights to solve real business solutions, right? And in addition to that, exploring data and exploring the information can help you lead to little threads, right? It may not give you another insight that may solve something, but it may give you another little thread to tug on, you know? And I think exploration is kind of the second half of that as well. So developing that culture can really, I think, just provide a better overall experience for everyone. So as you've kind of transitioned into data science, I'm sure you had a whole bunch of things about what the careers would be like, you know, how this is what data science is, that's what data science is. We talked a bit about, you know, kind of educating other people, but how about yourselves? What were some misconceptions that you all had when you the field or aspirations that maybe, you know, were different to what you expected? Shamel, start with you. So like I said in the beginning, mine was more of the title that I wanted. And I saw this very interesting title. I just wanted the title. And as I went along, I fell in love with what data science is actually about and how it has changed my entire life and my view on life. I think that a lot of it is 
people thinking very black and white, whereas data science is going to bring in a lot of the grays and fill in those grays for people to be able to understand differences and trend, uh, sorry, <clears throat> trends and the use of data and how we can manipulate that data to provide future predictions of and it's it's again like it's not necessarily like this is going to be a definite but at least there's going to be some sort of visual understanding of what the potentials could be as opposed to black and white and i like that because one thing that i found with people entering this field is often people think that data science is going to give them a definite answer mm -hmm. it's code it's software well no, it's not. As you said, you talk about there are shades of gray, ambiguity, mm -hmm. right? And data mm -hmm. science really flourishes in ambiguity. And often people who succeed in this field do so because they love the ambiguity. They love mm -hmm. clarifying ambiguity, even though there may not be definite answers. So I would agree with Chanel in that for me, initially it was like this title that I want. And I don't know why I wanted that title so bad. Perhaps it was when I first started, there wasn't a data scientist title. I just wanted to do math and computer science. There was when people asked me, what is it that you want to be? And I couldn't answer that. You know, like computer scientists become software engineers, but I couldn't, I couldn't answer that. And so there was the data science title. That came out. But now that I've you know, stepped into the field doing different types of work, I find I've become, I found that data work comes in so many different areas and data science doesn't have to always revolve around you know, writing an algorithm that does neural networks or fancy things like that. For me, I get really passionate. I find that I get really passionate, passionate about multiple areas of data. Right now, since I'm building dashboards, I get really passionate about my dashboards and I tell them, no, you cannot just throw different visualizations together and then push them out to the client. You need to take time to put a product together. And so that's one of the things that I find my own take on that. And same thing with algorithms too. Like if I am in a space when I'm writing an algorithm, I make sure that it's documented correctly, that is just take some care to, to your work. Doc strings are important and they do matter. And I will <laughs> die on that hill. Lee. I would say for me, it is when I first started, right? And I'm still starting, <laughs> but very fresh to it. Sometimes it could be a bit overwhelming, right? Especially when you don't necessarily have, say, a senior person that you're working with who can kind of guide you gently, right? Um, let's say on the job to show you how, th how things are done. So a lot of times when you go online to look for information or you go to kind of either self-educate yourself or take a class or anything, it can feel extremely overwhelming, right? And initially my thought from a technical perspective, right, I'm thinking to myself because I've never really done any programming before, right? Before I've embarked on this journey. So I, I did in my graduate program, but before that I have never done that, right? So sometimes it, it was a, it was a bit overwhelming because you think you have to learn every single aspect and every single tool available to you, right? And what I learned very quickly is that that's not sustainable, right? Because <laughs> you can't be practicing things till like 2 a.m. every night. So I took a step back and then just started exploring things that I may have found interesting, right? And and stuck with those, you know, disciplines for some time, whether it's learning 
you know, C, C++, or even diving a little deeper into, say, Python, right? All of these are just tools and segues that you that a data scientist can use. So I think for me, the big thing was just slowing down, right? I thought I had to do everything right away. And then I quickly realized that people tend to, you know, you can be generalized to an extent, but most people have one thing that they can be amazing at. So that's kind of how I have changed my mind on that. So... Last question we're going to go with now. We've already mentioned at the very start of this that, you know, kind of the common thread between you three is that, you know, you're people that, you know, I mentor, you know, from a you know, career perspective. But who who else are your mentors? And how do you choose those mentors? And what does mentor even mean to you? Is mentor, you know, situational? It's permanent? Kind of how, how does that look? And how do you use, you know, mentors and maybe and other tools as well? to help accelerate your learnings and your transitions into your current positions. So it's, man, we'll start with you. So aside from you, Lee, I don't have any other mentors. So you were my first mentor, but I could answer from a perspective of uh, people, people in leadership position that I admired throughout my career. I could, I could remember about two people. So, that pushed me to do the best that I can. And that was one of my, when I was teaching, he, I told him that I really wanted to teach MATLAB and I wanted to teach coding and he entrusted his full trust in me and he just pushed me to do it. And then if there's any help or any guidance, just go out and ask. So I like that kind of attitude to where they believe that you can do certain things and it didn't hold me back and having a mentor or leader of that with that kind of attitude kind of helps me to believe in myself too and that it makes me want to do even better just so that i can live up to their expectations or um, what they believe in me kind of like i don't want to let them down so that those are some of the characteristics that i look for in a mentor or leader and there's a lot of power in having someone trust you yeah. Right. It feels good, right? And it you know, really does help push you on. Shamel. So I was going to say go with Lee first, but then I think I'm just going to say it. Chat GPT. No, I'm kidding. That's <laughs> <laughs> actually not a terrible answer. I mean, I use it regularly myself. So. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I use it and I, and I turn to it for a lot of things, but I will say, I know this is so cliched, but my mom and my dad are definitely two people that are my mentors. And the reason being that coming from a country, a third world country, as, as it is, like I'm from South Africa and I had two parents. I'm also Indian. So, you know, very from a very backward standpoint of like very not risky. However, my parents are so forward thinking. And when I went to my dad and, you know, initially he was like, well, why don't you meet somebody or do this or do that? Like after I got, you know, divorced and I was like, you know, that's weird, Dad. I don't even, I wasn't thinking about that. And that's just like odd. But having somebody like that in my life with like my mom and my dad, just pushing me to always take those risks and not only pushing me, but showing me the example of, you know, there's nothing in this world that's impossible. has brought me to this point of where I want to be able to help other people understand that if I could do it, you can do it. And I, I did all of this being a single mom, working two jobs, studying full time, taking care of my kid full time, having no help because my parents are in Phoenix. But I mean, 
they would come back and forth and help me. But a lot of the times I did a lot of this on my own. So, but they were there like to emotionally support me. Both my sisters are supportive. So I'll say it's been my family, but more especially my mom and my dad. My mom being the person that like is always the caregiver. She was always just my number one cheerleader. So, you know, mentoring me in that way and providing that support has been the utmost push in the right direction, I'd say. Well, I think that's an important point that, you know, mentors can be from many places and many different mm-hmm. kinds of people, right? It's not just going to be a, prof- a person who works in the same field as you do. Really anybody who can help push you on and who can you know, give you the guidance and support you need to the next step can be viewed as a mentor. Lee? So I do have other people from a career perspective that I that are past managers that I have leaned on a bit. It's not, not a formal mentorship relationship, but I do trust them from an experience perspective. So I, I do lean on them. I think, so for me, I was just thinking about this and it made me laugh because I, I look for a lot of mentorship through media. And what I mean by that is, I like to go, let's say, I know we've been talking quite a bit about the YouTube and I got the premium account, right? But seeing how great people think, right? Maybe watching a science lecture on something that I don't understand at all, right? Like I completely don't understand. I'll regularly regularly watch something I just don't understand and just see how people think and how they break things down and how they may relate a subject that they know deep have deep knowledge about that may be super technical and i like to see how they present those things right so i find mentorship through those avenues i also find mentorship so i i I train grappling i've trained jiu-jitsu for seven years and i like to say that the mat is like a mentor right and the and because from a perspective of adversity right sometimes we might be having difficult times with work personal life but when you're on the mat you may not think about the you don't think about those things right because you're focusing on not getting trampled and from a perspective of just how I live my life I think those things I feed a lot of or rather I learn a lot from 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 those situations and I try to emulate things that I highly respect and have reverence for right that includes the people I work with some of the media I I intake as well as yourself Lee you know I try to emulate and you know, integrate the things that I have a lot of reverence for and those aspects into my life. So it's a little combination of a few things, but yeah. And I was going to, as as a planning thought, you know, for any listeners, people, it it can be hard to ask someone to be a mentor or it can be hard for us to offer support. But actually a lot of senior folks, especially if you take time to sort of create some relationship beforehand, actually quite flattered to be asked because we aren't asked all that often. Some people are. Some, I'm, I'm sure Andrew Ng is asked all the time. But most people uh, aren't asked that often. That how to be that often is received by most people. Before you, before, you, before you do cut off, I would like to say just this one thing. On first meeting you and we, we had our first conversation, you're like, well, if you don't like me as a mentor, you know, you're always welcome to, you know, find, you know, ask for another mentor. And I thought in my head, I was like, what is wrong with this man? Like, does he not know how, how, like, I'm just like dying to know more about him and like learn from him and absorb from him. And it was so humbling to know that somebody of, because I mean, obviously when I, when as soon as you came on, I had my laptop on the side and I was on LinkedIn checking you out, who you are, what you're about and things. And I was just like, 
you know, I, I'm so glad that when you said those words, I'm glad you did say those words because it, it humbled you so much to me wanting to get to know you more. But at the same time, you have this great knowledge and you just, you, you're such a great mentor. So thank you for being a mentor to me. And go, hopefully we will definitely continue this relationship. You have so much to admire. Well, thank you very much. That <laughs> always means a lot coming from people. All right. Well, that's what we have time for today. So thank you very much, everybody, for your time. I really appreciate it. And stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity intersecting with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. If you have a topic, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson, or my co-host, Lee Harper, on LinkedIn via DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. Be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture changemakers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening. Mm -hmm.